let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, in a few minutes, we'll be reading beginning with verse 46. God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Do you recognize those words? You sang them a few minutes ago. From Go Tell It on the Mountain. Now here's the thing. I want you to go tell it on the mountain. But here's what I really want you to do. Go tell it to your family. Go tell it to your neighbors. Go tell it to the people that you work with. And then go tell it on the mountain too. The point being, from the mountain you tell everyone. But to even think of what we are celebrating for the one who is trusting in Christ for their eternity should be overwhelming and overflowing. And so go tell it. And tell them about tonight. And tell them about next week. And Christmas Eve. And Christmas Day. And bring them with you. It's that important. People's eternity is at stake. When I find myself in times of trouble... Mother Mary comes to me. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Please don't leave after I said that. (laughs) You probably recognize that from the title cut of the Beatles' last album, Let It Be. And it was sung by many of us reverently, joyfully, Morningly, and there it is. Now, the problem, obviously, as we sit here in church, how out of context did that seem? I would suggest that's never been said from this pulpit before. (laughs) Because theologically, it's not right. What it is, is it is putting Mary, that we're going to read about in a moment, it is putting her in the place of Christ. Putting her in the place, really, of God the Father. You could replace Mother Mary comes to me with Holy Spirit, with God the Father, with 
Jesus, my Lord. And it should be accurate. Now, you might say, well, okay, well, that, you know, that's the Beatles. Let's not hold them accountable for theology here. Come on. The reason I even mention that, though, is to show how permeated that view is for it to actually uh, work its way into rock music, pop music, shows that that's a, a perfectly acceptable thing to say. In fact, I would suggest that's more acceptable than to talk about Christ or God the Father or the Holy Spirit in that context. Now, Where's all that come from? Where did that theology, and yes, it's theology, even though it's in there, where, where did that come from? Well, it, it's a theology of many in this world that Mary is basically a superhero. Where'd it come from? Well, in uh, the passage where going to read the Magnificat. It's often called in the Latin Luke 128 begins this way, Hail Mary full of grace. Now for some of you that strikes a note from your background. Hail Mary full of grace. That's led many to believe that Mary is the source of immeasurable grace. Mary is the one that we can go to if we, if we have a need, because look, after all, it says it right there in the Scripture. The better translation, though, of that is simply greetings. Or hail in the sense of hi. Hey, Mary as we would say it. That's the better way to translate it. But the latter part of that verse makes it clear that she is not the dispenser of grace, but the recipient of grace. As we'll see as well in, in her song. The angel's message to her simply said that God had freely chosen to give grace to Mary. That's what made her favored and blessed. It was precisely her inability in and of herself that the angel was making clear here and in what followed. In fact, Mary had some real problems. Think about that for a moment. Her story is familiar to probably most who know the Christmas story at all, but she had all kinds of problems. She was betrothed. Luke 1, verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, the whole idea of being betrothed here, just to kind of compare it to 
what we're talking about today in terms of marriage and engagement and that kind of thing. Jewish marriage had two stages, the Kedushan and the second stage was the marriage ceremony itself. The Kedushan was the betrothal. It took place where there was a promise made that there would be a marriage. And usually, typically, that marriage would take place 12 months later. They were considered and called husband and wife. They were to be faithful. And by the way, what could call off that marriage, although it required a divorce, but what could call it off is if one was unfaithful or uh, there was some impropriety during that time. During the betrothal, they lived in separate homes still. They had no uh, marital relations but they were considered husband and wife. And then there was uh, the marriage itself. And that was more like a a modern-day wedding, only it was a a bigger occasion. In fact, sometimes, and I I hesitate to say this because I don't want to give you girls ideas, but sometimes it actually was a party that took place over seven days that was a long time ago. We don't do that anymore. But that was, that was kind of finalizing. And then they came together uh, in, in the way that we would consider marriage to be. Well, that was the situation Mary was in when she was told she was with child. She was betrothed, and because of the situation, her husband was pondering divorce. She had problems. It was about to shatter Mary's dream of a happy marriage with this man. She had another problem. She was pregnant in a small town. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. She was innocent. But who's going to believe it? Why would they? She didn't get it. She knew there's only one way to have a baby. And she knew she was innocent. But that had never happened before. And she was in a small town. If any of you have ever lived in small towns, I have. Everybody knows everybody's business. And I promise you, the gossip was going. Sure, that's the way it happened. A virgin birth, come now. 
Mary had a problem. She was bearing, from the world's perspective, an illegitimate baby. She had another problem. Her dreams were all being shattered one by one. If she had hoped for a quiet life, enjoying her husband, enjoying her uh, children, watching them be raised, and then maybe someday uh, grandchildren, if she lived long enough for that. As she saw her son, Jesus, grow up. She saw him then rejected by his own family by those in their town. She saw his rise to popularity so much for the quiet life. And then she saw him arrested, falsely accused, falsely convicted, tortured. She saw it. And killed in the most cruel way they could in that day in a humiliating way the most shameful death now that's bad enough to consider in general think if it was your son Mary faced what to most would be a life of worry uncertainty conflict potential embarrassment Unfulfilled dreams for herself and for her family. Mary had problems. She had another problem, though. Mary was a woman of faith. Now, you might say, well, why would having faith be a problem? Well, here's why it's a problem. You know what? If you don't believe in God and you have all these things happen to you, you say, you know, I'm just just that unlucky person. Or you play the victim. You excuse it in some way. Maybe you blame others. But if you're a person of faith, if you say, I believe in God, I trust in Him, I believe His promises for me, I believe he always does what's best for his children. You see, you see why it's more problem if you're a person of faith? Because all of a sudden, you've got to cope with, okay, here's what I believe, here's what I know to be true by faith, but here's my circumstances. And they don't seem to match each other. How do those two things go together? And that was her problem. How do we know she was a woman of faith? Look look what Mary said to indicate her faith. Verse 38. Mary said, Behold, this is when she heard what was going to take place. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now that's easy to say, but hard to live out. But quietly, modestly, submissively, she saw herself as a servant of her Lord. 
Okay, she said that. How'd she feel? Was she tempted to boast or rebel or express disappointment? We don't know. We only know her actions and her words. We can't go inside of her head and and find out those things. But we know that her words and her actions were right. By calling herself a servant of the Lord, Mary was showing that somehow she grasped that these circumstances, though from a human perspective they seem like a bunch of problems, if they are from God, then they are good. Now, we only get to that point by faith. But it makes all the difference if we come to truly believe that we are called to something by God. We can endure, we can tolerate, we can go through a whole lot more of life. It's when people think that they're just unlucky or that they're a victim or uh, that somebody else is to blame that endurance will only last as long as your own strength will, and that's usually not real long. So let's look at Mary's perspective. It was a perspective of worship. This, as I told you, this section we're about to read is called, uh, from Mary's song, we're doing the songs of Christmas, called the Magnificat. The word Magnificat comes from uh, the first word of her song, which is translated in English, uh, Magnify. Now, I'm going to treat this differently than we have the first two, uh, Zechariah and Simeon. Uh, We looked at those, at their songs, kind of verse by verse, section by section. But with the background that I've told you in terms of uh, Mary's problems, the situation she was in, I want us to treat this as a whole. I want you to hear this as a whole, and then, then we're going to look at it. Here's what she said. This is verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. All this is after hearing that news. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Where 
did she get those words? Where would this humble, young girl get words like that? Well, first and foremost, we've got to say she was under the the Spirit, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. He gave her those words, but I am convinced as well that many of those words were words that she had in her. Because so many of them are virtually the words of Scripture that that a, a faithful household would have brought to their children. And that's just a, a sideline where those words would come from. We know ultimately they came from God. Now here's what we need to see in terms of what she said in there. Okay, here's her reaction. It's one, first of all, of worship. It's not one of griping, complaining, anger, but she responds to the difficulties that are ahead of her with worship. What does she say in this? Well, it is not about her circumstances. Notice how different that seems to be from many of our prayers. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely including myself in this. When you pray... How often is the focus on our requests? Now look, even what we send out by email from the church are the requests. Now, I I think that's proper. That's okay, because we don't remind you every single time you pray to first go to God in worship and thanksgiving, although maybe we should do that once in a while, and and uh, confession and repentance and all of, you know, uh, recognizing who God is and all of those things. We don't do that. We send you the request. But I want to remind you, as I remind myself, that there's much more to prayer and worship than asking for us or even asking for others. That's just a small part of it. And you know what? We don't even see that here in her song. It was, told you what it's not about. It's not about her circumstances. It was about God's attributes. She talks about who he is. Uh, she, she says, uh, talks about uh, you are holy is his name. She talks about his mercy his strength, verse 31. And then she talks about not only his attributes, those wonderful attributes of God that affect her and cause her to uh, be enabled in her faith, but she also talks about the work of God. She says people will call her blessed, but not because of what she did, or not because of who she is, but because of what God did in her. And and that's the key here. It's about the work of God. What He did for His people Israel, finding favor in them, taking care of them, 
helping His servant Israel. So she focuses upon God Himself, not her own circumstances. And there's one further thing in this as we look at it as a whole. And that is, this didn't change her circumstances, did it? She wasn't saying, let me out of this, please. Go pick someone else who is stronger or any of those things. And God didn't do it. This didn't change anything about His plan. But in this, we see God working in a humble servant. After Jesus was born, later on, we read in Luke chapter 2 a little bit more about her. After the shepherds had, had come, And she saw another display of things of who this child really is. It says in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Treasuring and pondering. Treasuring them. Giving them value. Valuing them. Saying they are important. And then pondering. And I would ask you this. What is it in your life that God wants you to treasure and ponder? To see as this might not fit with my understanding of faith, but, but I still believe, I still know that God is God and He is good and He is merciful and He is holy and He has done great things I'm going to have to ponder on these things, but I treasure them. What is it in your life that He would have you treasure and ponder? Her focus was upon the Lord Jesus. For you, There is nothing, if you are a child of the living God, if you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, there is nothing in your life that takes place that is wasted. It is all to be treasured and pondered. Now, as we conclude, I I want to emphasize one more thing. The last time we see Mary in the Scripture is over in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. This is after Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He walked the earth. He ascended into heaven. And we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, one more time. And she is praying with the other believers there. She persevered. And God gave her perseverance. She pondered and treasured. But here's what I I want to emphasize. Mary is not the hero of this story. 
Jesus is the hero. You are not the hero of your story. Whatever those things are, if you endure, it is by God's grace. It is by His mercy. It is because God has given strength. It is not about you. Jesus is the hero of the story of His children. May God enable us to treasure those things He puts in our life. Even the things that this world would see as big problems. To treasure them and to ponder them in the right context. Knowing that the focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together. Lord, while we quickly say that Mary is not the hero here, we thank you for revealing what you did about her. And indeed, Lord, today we have called her blessed, fulfilling your word. She is blessed because you poured out your grace into her life. She is not a superhero. And Lord, we in this room, we don't feel like superheroes. But we know that you are a great God who took care of your own people. And we are they. Will you show yourself in our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.